Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For, as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means, and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and by the will of God to us, so that we might urge Titus that, as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now finish doing it so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need, in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. The word of God for the people of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we, we're so thankful for this moment that we've gathered here, that we remember the sacrifices of family members and loved ones, friends, those in this room who have given so much. Lord, now as we Enter into this portion of our worship service. May you be glorified. May your words be heard. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.
So we continue our series, which started last week, um, on the giving tree. Um, I will forewarn you, there's a lot of statistics and things in this message, and uh, some of them are grim. But the purpose of this message is hope, hope for the future and what many of us are engaged in here at Grace and how we can further the kingdom of God. We had a great opportunity last week to celebrate 25 years of history in this body of believers. I am fortunate to be coming up on my seventh year here. Yesterday we celebrated the twins' eighth birthday, and when we moved here, they were freshly one. So, uh, Dean, you remember. <laughs> um, and so we've, we've been here for a good portion of those 25 years, it feels like. And um, what an awesome celebration we had. Um, feels like time has flown. And speaking of time flying, when I was a kid, I loved to go visit my grandparents in Greenwood, South Carolina. They lived on Sunset Drive, and uh, I think there's a picture. We have a tree in their front yard, and uh, we always love to climb up in that tree, and that tree has made its appearance in many photos. Several of us, my sister and my cousins, in the tree and in front of the tree, my grandmother, some 20 years ago, moved to Oklahoma, and I have not been to that house in a long time, and I don't know if that tree is still standing, but definitely a significant tree. And as I think about my life and where we've lived and where we've been, it seems that trees have a little more significance than I ever would have thought they would. Likewise... Trees have a good bit of significance in the Bible as well. In fact, outside of God and people, it's the most talked about living thing in Scripture. We began our new series, The Giving Tree, last week, appropriately with a sermon titled, Bountiful. As we celebrated the wonderful things that have happened in the life of Grace UMC. The Giving Tree was one of my favorite books growing up. In recent years, it has had some controversy. It does seem to portray an abusive relationship when analyzed. There are several different interpretations of its meaning. Overall, there are very real truths about personal relationships within the book's content. These can be hard to swallow, especially if you see yourself on either side of the story. Last week, we looked at the tree as a representation of our relationship with God. How we can enjoy life with God at the center but sometimes we lose our focus and our preferences become the center. 
Much like the boy, the relationship becomes about what we get out of it. And we can slip into the focus being about our needs, our wants, our hopes and dreams, and not so much about adoration for God or living out the Great Commission. When we think about the church as a whole, the global church, and our mission to make disciples of all people, with God at the center, we become the hands and feet of Jesus in the world when that's our focus. What about the church as the tree? Numerous tales can be shared around the world of how the church has acted like the tree. And unfortunately, there are also stories of the church, the institution, acting like the boy. Full disclosure, I can certainly tell some tales from my collection of ministry experiences through the years. And tales of being a pastor's kid through the years. My life is grounded in this institution. Vocational ministry is a place to struggle with this concept, but it could, because it involves livelihood. Likewise, there have been times through the years when I felt like the church has acted like the boy, seeking more and more from people. In this series, the hope is to help make us aware and find a healthy balance in our relationship with the local church as well as the global church. David Dark, author and professor at Belmont, talks about a concept called robot soft exorcism. Basically, the idea is that as people, we find ourselves stepping into roles, titles, positions, systems, and institutions that are much bigger than us that might cause damage along the way. As if a person is stepping inside of a robot to control it and can't see what is underneath. And so as it moves, it might be crushing people or things below it without even realizing it. And so this concept that he presents is that you have to gently and softly point out to the people in those systems, hey, I know that this is providing for you. I know that this is a position that you've worked your way into, but have you considered some of the damage that might be caused from your involvement, your position, your title, your participation, to call them out in a loving way. Honest and at times risky conversations make us aware of the damage 
we may have inadvertently caused. Not only by how we open and close our doors, but also how we can treat the mission of the church as business. And even how our inaction and our silence in certain situations and on certain issues can cause damage. Harm. Isn't that one of our three rules? Do no harm. Just this week at Restoration Point, Leola and I interacted with a person. And as we interacted with this person, they lowered themselves to the ground and took a deep breath. Leola asked if they were okay, to which they responded that they just feel traumatized by the church as an institution. And in this space, a church where they were having their needs met, they just had to regulate their body. That's what this sermon series is intended to do. It's intended to make us aware of how collectively, as those who claim to know Jesus, that is, the global church, how we can become so focused on the gifts of the tree that we forget its meaningful purpose. I don't believe that grace is a church that doesn't care to know, to be aware of how the church might do damage. To keep it at the forefront as we seek to love others, all people, as God intends. I do know that there are churches that don't care. They don't care who they crush along the way. But the church isn't churches. It's all of us who claim to know, follow, and love Jesus Christ. We're all responsible. In the church, we can easily slip into codependency. An unhealthy relationship where we become consumers and treat the church like the boy treats the tree. In the allegory that is the giving tree, we see this relationship form. In the story, we find that the tree has feelings. It says that it loves the boy very much. It's a love that leaves the tree longing even in the boy's absence. The tree misses the ways that the boy engaged with her. The purpose of the early church was to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus together in community. It was the way they lived with one another. And when we read about the early church and how they operated, we get a picture of these followers of Jesus engaged in relationship 
not just attending. In a recent article on his blog about engagement, pastor and leadership writer Carrie Newhoff pointed out that church attendance is a relatively new concept. Early Christians didn't attend church. They were the church. It was their life. There is a lot to be said of what the church has become. Even with the best intentions, we speak of the church in everyday speech as a place that we attend and not as something that we are. If we're not careful, we reduce the church down to a stump, a place to sit. Jeff mentioned church shopping last week. We base our church selection on what it provides for us rather than the opportunities it offers for us to engage in Christ's mission. The mission is to go into all of the world. We can easily come just to swing from the branches, eat the fruit, and sit in and enjoy the shade. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. At the core, most churches have set out to do just that and are driven by the desire to know Christ and make Christ known. It's when we gather for our own benefit to receive and not to engage in the mission that things become unbalanced and unhealthy. In our passage today, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about the churches in the region of Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, among others. Despite affliction and hardship, these churches are very generous and full of joy. The treatment of Christians at the time caused poverty and tribulation. And these churches in this region of Macedonia managed to give beyond their means. What we see depicted here is connectional. We boast of a connectional church as United Methodists. Today's passage is a biblical picture of what it looks like. Even collectively, our relationship with God's church can become about what's in it for our context. Bottom line, in our expansion and miss the opportunity to be a means of grace as the global church. The church needs our generous gifts, not only money, but of our time and our talents. What happens when we come to swing from the branches and eat the fruit 
and sit in the shade is that we miss the opportunity to give of ourselves. We miss the opportunity to pour into the next generation, to disciple and to share in service to others. The boy in the giving tree takes and takes and takes until there's no longer fruit. There's no longer branches. There's no longer shade. No longer growth. Just a stump in the ground. A reminder of an unbalanced relationship. A reminder of what once was. Consumerism leaves the tree with nothing for future generations. Nothing for them to enjoy and pass along to their children. And the tree was happy. But not really. A Gallup report on church membership shows that 73% of American adults were members of a Christian church when they first polled in 1937. There was a peak at 76% between 1945 and 1950. There was a steady decline with the turn of the 21st century, and currently we're looking at 47% of American adults attending church. Research done by the Pine Tops Foundation on Generation Z and Millennials reveals that more than one million youth in the American church today will leave the church every year for the next three decades. 20 to 40 million youth who were raised in Christian families are projected to no longer claim Christ by the year 2050. There are many factors tied to this decline this decline. One of the main factors for millennials and Generation Z is they are finding more opportunities to volunteer and serve outside of the church. They are hungry for authenticity and deeper challenges than what the church is offering. In the research done in the book Growing Young, put out by the Fuller Youth Institute, it was discovered that young people will share their faith when they belong to a community where they can build authentic relationships, are listened to well, and where there is honesty around questions and doubts. And they are encouraged to discuss those questions and doubts. This can be interpreted in several ways. And probably the most piercing is that the church is more focused on what they are doing inside rather than what they are doing outside. Swinging from the branches, collecting the leaves, eating the fruit, carving our initials in the trunk to stake our claim, and consuming until there's no longer any branches, no leaves, no apples to eat. Only a stump 
to sit and wait. But there's hope. Last week, we looked at the bountiful history of this congregation. There are so many stories of connection and relationship and walking through the joys and sorrows of life as a community. The last few years have been difficult and challenging. There's been so much tension and uncertainty, but God has been faithful and so good to us. We have seen many new faces. New families have gotten plugged in. Families seeking community and relationship. A church where they can raise their family up in faith. We have plenty of opportunities to get plugged in to a Sunday school and meet people. What a rich blessing to be engaged in the full community of believers. Outlined in last week's passage, where all believers were together and shared everything in common. Perhaps we too have slipped into unbalance. Our Sunday routine has become about our comfort, and we've missed opportunities to see how the church needs us and longs for us to engage more. The church has given us opportunities to enjoy life, to enjoy life together. Many have spent decades here, even before grace as we know it today exists. This congregation has been your home. It's been wonderful. It has raised your families. If you think back, I'm willing to bet that it was engagement that brought you back and established your foundation here. It's the responsibility of each one of us to be the gracious hosts that we are called to be for the kingdom of God. We are the church. And we have to be balanced like the early church in Acts chapter 2, where everything was shared and every need met, gifts are shared, and we bring our authentic selves, our doubts, our questions, and we engage with the younger generation and listen to their doubts and their questions and seek Jesus together. Lest we become a stump, a reminder of what once was, something that we enjoyed but that future generations may never know. There's much work to be done as we look ahead to the next 25 years, 50, 75, 100, and so on. We're like the churches in the region of Macedonia. We gave generously with abundant joy for the advancement of the kingdom of God beyond our means. 
What can we do? Exactly what we're called to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, all people. The church is us. It's me. It's you. It's the church that meets across the street and across town and across the world. And it's not just what happens when we gather in this building. And there's still more room for our neighbors and always more opportunity to become more balanced. Amen.